studying the Olivet Discourse. And we've just gone through a lot of prophetic information that deals with the last days, the days in which we live. And it's one of those uh, beautiful pictures that we have to prepare us. Now, the Lord, uh, oftentimes, once He instructs, He gives us the applications. What do we do? Because uh, that, that's a question we should ask, how then should we live? Whenever we read and study Scripture, we should ask, how then should I live? What, how does this apply to my life? Knowing we're in the last generation, He is going to give us some, some warnings. These are warnings specifically for the last generation. And so they're, they're applications to all through the history of the church age because everybody needed to be prepared for the next group prophetic event, next great prophetic event. Early Jews for 70 AD and Gentiles, they needed to know what was coming. But here we are, 2,000 years later, and uh, the events of the end times have come together like never before. People have said, well, this has happened again, and every time it happens, people think the rapture is going to occur. And there are cycles of history without question. There are wars and rumors of wars and Things go up and down, but never before in the history of, of the world has everything come together at one time. Uh, some of the things that had to come together was kings of the east had to have a 200 million man army. And in the first century, there weren't that many people alive on the earth based on the estimates of anthropologists. So there has to be a rise in the number of people. Daniel 12 says that there's going to be a growth in knowledge, a phenomenal growth in knowledge in the last days. And what we have seen happen in our own lifetimes is mind-boggling. Uh, our, our grandparents, their parents, they, can't, they couldn't even imagine what we have seen in the space of 100 years. And a lot of us have taken for granted things that were not even considered possible when we were growing up, like cell phones and things like that. Some of them we wished hadn't happened, but they, they did. Never before in the history of the world is everybody able to know in a split second what's going on almost anywhere in the world. Never before. And now it has all come together. We are watching it unfold. We know what the devil is up to. We know what his plans are. We know what God's plans are. We just don't know the timing of God's plans. And that's what he's getting ready to tell us about and warn us about and give us information for, to be prepared for what is coming on the earth. So before we begin, because this is application of prophecy, we need to... Uh, Go in front of the throne of grace. Let's ask that the Lord would be our teacher. Help us to understand what his word says. Help us to be able to remember it as we need it and apply it wisely to honor him. Let us pray. Father, thank you again for your love, your grace, your mercy. For all that you have poured out upon us and the beloved. Father, we thank you for your word that it is reliable and trustworthy. It is a lamp unto our feet. And Father, we, we know that when the roll is called up yonder, we will be there because your word says it. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the inspiration of it. We thank you for the preservation of it. And Father, now we ask for illumination. 
so that we will be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Well, we are at point nine in this summary, and it seems like it's a never-ending summary. But we have looked at verse, uh, Luke 21, verse 34 to 36, and he said, keep on the alert. And so we're tracking down the word, I group neo, don't be spiritually asleep, is what it's saying. At all times, that's the when. Praying, that's the what. This is the word deomai, and this is what we're going to look at to start with this morning. Deomai is a strong petition. It is not a very clinical and clean prayer, so to speak, that we're just presenting something as uh, like we're reading something off a, off a teleprompter in front of the king of kings. This is something coming from the inside out, from the heart and soul, something that denotes a, an urgency to it. He says, praying that you may have the strength. See, that's the reason we're supposed to offer up this strong prayer to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of the Man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, this, this is an important verse. Lord is wrapping it up in Luke 21, and he's left it for us. Now we're looking at preparation in the last days, and we're going to, this will follow with, with parables that teach preparation. But point nine, preparation requires intensive prayer. Like one who knows he's headed to the lake of fire and desiring not to be there. This is the issue with, with Legion. We looked at last week, and, and uh, this guy <laughs> runs up to Christ. He's, who are you? And he's, uh, how many demons are you? He says, I am known as Legion. The guy's indwelt and demon-possessed by a, a number of demons. And he says, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you. Deoma, I implore you, do not torment me. Now, was this the man speaking or was this the demon speaking? I believe it was the demon from underneath. But the reason for this verse, it gives us a picture of the intensity of this. This is a demon that knows his fate. It's a demon that has no other, no other thing to do except, uh, I guess, make the best of it as demons would for the time that he's got allotted before he's thrown into the lake of fire. So... <clears throat> They were, uh, uh, it's, that's the strength of this prayer that we're looking at. Now, what are we supposed to deomai? What types of things do we need to bring in front of the throne of grace with a sense of urgency? And in Genesis 11, first session, we saw this urgency of, come on, let us go. Come on, let us bake bricks. Come on, let us do this. This word, come on, it means an urgency that is there. This word deomai has a sense of intensity to it. And concerning the battle. Now this battle we're talking about is in Ephesians 6 in verse 18. And when we think about prayer concerning the battle, I can't help but go back and think of Daniel. Daniel is praying about what is going on within his own nation. Uh, the Jews found themselves in Babylon and Daniel is involved in intense prayer, prayer for his nation. Now, this is the type of prayers that he has, where it's not just, oh, I'm going to pray for the nation. Lord, take care of the people in positions of power and things. We know I'm supposed to pray for these people and all that. This is where we get real serious about it. This is where we're really praying for who they are and what they are doing. We're praying not just that they'll 
leave us alone. That's First Timothy 2. But what, shouldn't we be praying for their souls? I mean, that's what we're called to do. But I think about Daniel. I think about the prophets, the weeping prophet that just cried for years and years and years. Why? Because there was an intensity to his prayers that were, were going about that. And when we think about intense prayers, and we've been studying divine institutions, shouldn't we think about an intense prayer that, Lord, I don't want to do anything to offend you. I don't want to teach anything wrong, say anything wrong, and make that real serious prayer, not just a, something we throw up there in front of the throne of grace, but something that's real in our life. As we study the Word... Shouldn't we want to know what is right? One of the things that attracted me to studying in the original languages, and one of the things I learned from one of my pastors early on, was don't care what it says, you just need, the, you need to really want to know what it says. You're not here to stand for a particular denominational viewpoint, a particular thing. You are here to find out what does the scripture say. And that's driven me ever since I went into seminary. What does it say? I want to know why so I can do. And that should be the way we all, we all are. Lord, if I'm headed the wrong direction, shut me down. Shut me down. Don't let me take anybody else with me. But that's the type of prayer that we should have because there's an urgency to it. Now, Paul, when he's writing and using these words, because Paul is a, he, he's not just a, a brilliant human intellect. He's a spiritual giant under the inspiration of the Spirit. And he says in Ephesians 6, verse 18, now we love that because that's the, that's the full armor of God. And I mean, how many, how many church sermons have come out of Ephesians 6 in the history of the church age? A lot of them and a lot more need to. And then when after he's described all the, the, the full armor of God, he introduced it and said, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the de devil. And after he describes that, he's going to Ephesus. He says, with all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit... And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now this is an intensity of prayer that Paul is asking for and not just for him. He wants believers to pray for other believers everywhere with an intensity. And we've got people on that back wall there just as a starting point. Those people are for the most part, are in harm's way. A lot of times when they leave the house in the morning, they're in harm's way carrying God's word to a, a lost and dying world. So that's what they're, what they're doing. He says, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all of the saints. Now, this is a prayer for the body of Christ. I, we're really good... Uh, everybody I know is really good about praying for people in need, praying for people who are sick, praying for people who are hurting. What a blessing that is to be able to, to do that. And, but how good are we, and I don't know your prayer life, about praying for everybody else. 
praying for the other Christians, praying for the missionaries, praying for people all over the planet. Do you know, it is amazing as I, I get updates from George Barna. I get too many updates from George Barna, to tell you the truth. I got on this mailing list, and I subscribed, and I'm thankful for what I get, but I can't read what I get. But what I do get says that the church is headed downhill. The church is going the wrong direction. And why do we know they're going the wrong direction? Because they're violating the Word of God. You don't embrace marriages that are not of God. You know, it's not what you do. Between one man, one woman. That's the way it is supposed to be. To dis dissolve in, uh, the family and not see the importance of having a, a man in the family to help, help run it. That, when those things happen and the church is embracing all this, Instead of saying, yeah, we'll embrace you, but it's sin, and sin needs to be work, worked on. They'll say, yeah, we'll embrace you, but we'll never talk about sin, because somebody may get mad and leave. And it's more about the numbers than it is about the souls of people. Do we pray for the church? Because I'll tell you, the church, not just here in the United States, there are places all over the world when I talk to missionaries, and they're finding a real uh, lukewarmness in their in their in their flock a real lackadaisical attitude about doing the things that honor and, and please the lord and then paul says and pray on my behalf you know the way paul thinks we pray for others pray for ourselves but he's not afraid to say pray for me at all he says pray on my behalf paul is in prison think about this <laughs> if we're in prison what would we be doing lord get me out Lord, that's normal, isn't it? Lord, I want to get out of prison. Paul says, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We'll be willing to spread the gospel. Here's Paul in jail. You know, in the Macedonian prison in Acts chapter 16, there was a earth, they were singing praises and hymns to God. Now, what had Paul started in a prison? A choir. <laughs> Think about that. You know, when the devil fell, he landed in the choir loft. That's what they said. Paul said, okay, we'll take the battle back at him. So we'll start a choir. So they were singing hymns of praise to God in that Macedonian jail. And then the earthquake hit, the doors were flung open, and he talked the prisoners into staying. What? It looked like a sign from God, didn't it? Why don't you run out the doors? Well, he said no. And then the jailer came in. What must I do to be saved? His life was on the line. If one prisoner was gone, his life would have been taken. That's how, how important it was to him. And Paul said, just calm down. We are all here. Okay? You don't need to be afraid about somebody being gone. We are all here. And then he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. He gave him the gospel. As clear as it could have been given. When Paul's thrown in jail in, in, in Rome and he's writing to, to Ephesus here, you know what he did there? He evangelized the Praetorian Guard in Caesar's household. 
Where did he get this picture of the Roman soldier with the breastplate of Rome? Where did he get that? Because they were guarding him. Paul, in jail for the cause of Christ, didn't ask for release. He asked for boldness. Now, where are we at in our country now? We're almost afraid to mention that we're even Christians. How, how much inroads has the devil made? Way too many. What type of prayer should we have? We want these intense prayers, don't we? Lord, I want the boldness that Paul had. That's legitimate prayer. And you know what? He's probably going to answer it. <clears throat> I don't know if he's going to throw you in jail to get you to do it. But, who knows? you know, it's happening all over the world right now. It's happening in Burma. It's happening in India. happening in China. You know, the underground church in China is growing. But it's underground. Frequently, literally underground. In basements is where they're meeting. So they're able to come together and sing praises to the Lord. When I was in Vietnam a long time ago, the people that we were with, everyone there, and they, we called them kids. They were probably 30 years old, but they were really kids. They'd all spent time in, in jail for disturbing the peace. They were singing too loud. That's what was happening. Singing praises to the Lord too loudly, and they'd all spent time in jail for that. Um, what did they do over there facing persecution? We, we make neat little buildings. We even made one here where the sound doesn't get out and bother the neighbors. You know what they do in India? They set the speakers outside so everybody will hear. That's what they do. Now, we need to pray about this battle we find ourselves in because we don't want to be found lacking. How about for more workers for the harvest? Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Seeing the people, the Lord felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have a leader. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech. It's our word deomai. Implore, beg, urge. Whatever translation you want to put there, it is an intense prayer. The Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Number of missionaries are going down. I don't know what the latest statistics are. I haven't seen those recently from Barna, but about 10 years ago, there was 1,500 more people a month in the United States leaving the ministry than entering the ministry. That's 18,000 people a year. You start multiplying that out, you make a significant dent in uh, the church and in church leadership. That was what was going on. Why? Discouraged, disheartened, taking down the wrong path somewhere. The lackadaisical nature of, the, of the, the flock. We are living in the age of Laodicea where there's a lukewarmness. Where people just really don't care about doing anything but fulfilling their own desires. Pray for more workers for the harvest. We've got people up on that board back there. 
We need a lot more of them like that that are willing to go out and that we're willing to pray for and support as best we can possibly support them. We need to pray for healing for ourselves. From Luke chapter 5, this is an interesting uh, passage. Luke 5, verse 12 and 13. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. Now, if you've ever been around leprosy and seen it, it's not pretty. And seeing the results of it, it is not pretty either. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him. That's our day, oh my word. He begged him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now think about what he just said. What was a leper under the Mosaic Law? Because this is still Mosaic Law time frame, dispensation back here. If you touched a leper, you were unclean. So as a result, one of the things of leprosy was that they lacked a human touch. They weren't able to have a touch from anybody else uh, over that period of time. And he says, and he stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed, and immediately the leprosy left him. I'm not going to go through all the Greek on that, but it's kind of interesting because he stretched out his hand, but see, it would have been rendered Jesus unclean to touch a leper, according to the law. So he healed them en route to touching him. Powerful. He didn't touch a leper. By the time his hand got there, he was clean. It was done. Now when the Lord heals, it's instant and it's permanent. And we have to remember that. That's what he does. That's the way he does things. And this man asked for it. God gave it to him. Does he do that with everybody? No. Paul asked that the thorn in his flesh be taken away. And he finally, and the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul said to keep me from exalting myself. Sometimes he leaves us with afflictions to test us. There is a reason for that. What we do know is his kids, it's all for good. That's the way he thinks, the way he does things. So it's for good. But it's okay to come and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your healing. It's okay to use this same type of prayer and healing for others. Luke chapter 9, verse 38. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you, it's our word again, <clears throat> to look at my son. He's my only boy. And a spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty <coughs> does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. And I begged your disciples, same word there, to cast it out. They could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And while he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, gave him back to his father. Oh, what a man is this? Even the demons are subject to him. When he gives the order, they leave. They exit. Come up against such situations where 
You wonder if people are demon-possessed or what and how that goes about. I don't think believers can be demon-possessed. Based on 1 John, it says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I don't believe a believer can be, but they can be heavily influenced without question. But what about unbelievers? What's the best way to cast a demon out as a Christian? Here's a, here's a class on exorcism. It's a short one. Give them the gospel. If they accept Christ, demon's going. Can't stay. It's removed. That's the best way to deal with such a thing. We say, well, we don't have that in this country. Yeah, we do have it in this country. It's just not as open as it is in some places that you can see. It's in India one time, and there was a guy outside of a Catholic uh, monastery where we were having the meeting, and he was an Indian man, and he was having a conversation with himself. Only the conversation had Clint Eastwood, Jack Nicholson, and several other famous actors, and they were arguing with each other inside, and he was bringing this thing outside. And it was, <laughs> you didn't have to ask, is this guy demon-possessed or what? <laughs> but he was speaking English. He was speaking English, and he was in the middle of, I don't remember, it was a Malayalam town or what it was, but he was, he was speaking and having a conversation with himself. And... Yeah, it was, and that was right out in the open going on. Healing for other people. A lot of times we have displayed this when our children have gotten real sick over the course of time. We've displayed this thing, this type of prayer. We know what, it, what it's like when a loved one has gotten real sick. And we go in front of the throne of grace and it's not just the Lord healed them type of prayer. This is, the type, this is a different level of intensity that he says. And well, this is for us in the last generation. What kind of things should we pray about? Pray for removal of evil intentions when it comes to us. From Acts 8 verse 18. Now Acts 8 18 is about Simon the magician. Not Simon the Peter. <laughs> this is Simon the magician. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he, wanted, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. Now see, this is a real money-making deal. You start thinking about this. If he could do that and lay on hands, and he was a magician, yeah, he could make a lot of money with selling that particular thing. And he says, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. These gifts uh, are free. They're given out of grace. It's called a charisma gift. A charisma gift is given as a result of the grace of God. You don't buy them. You don't even ask for them. You either get them or don't. He says, you have no part or portion in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray, beg, implore, plead, de oh my, the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness 
and in the bondage of iniquity. This is Peter the Apostle, who's also a prophet, who can read people like a book. And he says, But Simon the magician answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon, I wonder if he ever got it. Because what did Peter say? You pray to the Lord. What did he say? No, Peter, you pray for me. He wasn't willing to humble himself at that point in time. Maybe he did later. We don't know. But at that point in time, he was not ready to humble himself before God to the point of even belief. Pray for personal involvement in missions work. Personal involvement in missions work. Romans 1 verses 9 and 10. Paul writes in Romans 1, For God whom I serve in my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of his Son is my witness. How unceasingly that I make mention of you always in my prayers making request. If some, perhaps now, at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Paul is praying that he gets to come to them. And he's teaching us to pray about personal involvement in missions work. And again, you may have to leave the country, but you probably have to leave your house. Maybe even by the internet or some other way. Because missions work is about getting outside of ourselves. Missions work is about other people. And right now, you know, we can look back at the 10,000 excuses we could have had in the 1800s for not going out on the mission field. Right? Most all those are gone. What excuse does a person really have now to not be involved in some type of outreach proclaiming the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ? I know some people are still with Facebook and they use Facebook and I'm thinking, I don't like Facebook. I don't even like to check Facebook. If I could figure out how to get off of it, I'd get off of it. And then I see people, I get, I get things almost every day from some people. And you know what it is? It's a good, positive, uplifting statement of the scriptures that comes out. You know, it's a ministry. And so I thought, well... You know, it's a good idea maybe to put that out there and use it for good. How do you combat evil? You overcome it with good. That's how you do it. Sometimes the head-on battle is not what works. You just keep loving them toward the kingdom. And if they want to start censoring that, that's between them and God. They start pulling his word off like they're trying to do, and that's between them and God. And it's a mark of the last days. Personal involvement missions work. It's a, a passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that shows the role of the Trinity in um, evangelism and missions and in the body of Christ. And it says in verse 4 to 6, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. So who gave you your spiritual gift? The Holy Spirit. Tells us a little later in the chapter, verse 13, He did it sovereignly the moment you believed in Jesus Christ. He decided. So if you don't like your gift, take it up with the Holy Spirit. Okay? But He made the decision, and it's the best thing you could possibly have. 
He knows you inside out. And he says, okay, this is what I want you to have. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. Now that means that out of this gift you have, which is the supernatural ability to excel in a certain area. We're all supposed to be teachers, but some have the gift of teaching. We're all supposed to be pastoral, leading those who are under our authority or influence or whatever. We're all supposed to be pastoral. Some have the gift of pastor. We're all supposed to show mercy, but some have the gift of mercy. You know, we're all supposed to give, too, but some have the gift of giving. We're all supposed to do those things. Varieties of ministries are how these things are expressed. You have the gift of mercy or the gift of helps or the gift of giving. And how are these things expressed? How do you use them? That's a ministry. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in, in, in making them about. Who brings about the effects? The Holy Spirit gave you the gift. The Lord gave you the ministry. And it's up to God what he does with them. We're supposed to join in. You know, sometimes we try to play God and see the end from the beginning and say, well, gosh, I can't do this or I can't do that or I can't do this. You know what we're supposed to do? Do it. He needs our availability a whole lot more than he needs our ability. We're also to pray for personal involvement in the edification of other people. Personal involvement in the edification of others. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel all the time, sometimes use words. Very wise statement there. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 3, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep Praying most earnestly. There's our word popped up again. He's praying for this church in Thessalonica. Who are they? A young church. He was only there three Sabbath days and the church grew out of it. And he writes them a letter and they're, they're a model church. They're living their faith, hope, and love. That's who they are. That's what they do. And he's saying, you can't, I, he said, I can't tell you how excited I am about what you are doing. And praying most earnestly because we want to come see you. Three Sabbaths is all he had. The church got started. And he said, I want to come back and see you. Why not? This is a great church. He wants to come back, visit them. He'll encourage them. They'll encourage him. They'll both go on their way. And he says, and that I might complete what is lacking in your faith. You ever noticed a model church doesn't know it all? It's not a bunch of know-it-alls assembled under the same roof. That's not what a model church is. A model church is a group of people that have their faith in the right object. It's a group of people who have a hope for the future that is based on confidence and it's a group of people that love one another and love God. That's a model church. Now, should we get the doctrine right? Absolutely. Should we all attain to the unity of the faith? Absolutely. That's what it says. But a model church starts with having the right attitudes and being headed in the right direction. Personal involvement in the edification of, of other people. Paul wanted to, to see them. How about prayer for the success of others? A prayer for the success of other people. 
success of other Christians. Pray that if they're headed the wrong direction, you pray that the Lord will make it clear to them. They'll get their eyes, uh, uh, I hate to use the word woke up again, but maybe woke to the right thing. And get them in, in such a way that they're a, a spiritually alert, awake to the fact that Jesus Christ is still in control of history. And we want them to have success in this life. Luke twenty two thirty one, Jesus sets the examples for us. He says, Simon, Simon, this is Simon the Peter, Simon the uh, Apostle. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, how would you like to know that? <laughs> okay, Peter, keep this one to yourself. <laughs> Peter, go, keep this one to yourself. I really didn't need to know that. Well, you know, Peter was a little bit arrogant, maybe you would say. And he says, Satan's demanded permission to sift you like wheat. So that teaches us a lot about the angelic conflict before angels and demons can mess with you. They have to have permission. And the Lord gave, gave him permission. How do we know? He says, I have prayed for you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the high priest over all creation, Deobai. I prayed earnestly for you, Peter. What a statement. That your faith may not fail. You want a, you want a verse on volition? Here's the Lord. Prayed that his faith not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, what did he just tell him? You're going to fail. I prayed that you wouldn't fail. I prayed intensely that you wouldn't fail. But the Lord is not controlling Peter's volition and decision making. He leaves that to, leaves that to him, and he, but he's omniscient. And he says, you're going to screw this one up too, Peter. I know, I know what's going to happen. But when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Wow. He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to deny him. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, this is a reminder of the prayers that we have. Just shouldn't be... Grocery list, clinical. We need lists because the older we get, the harder it is to remember. But we still need, they don't need to be done in a uh, sanitary environment, so to speak. When we come in front of the throne, I know sometimes it's easy to want to try and hide from God. That goes all the way back to the garden, doesn't it, after the fall? Oh, yeah, God, I'm doing well. No, you're not. He knows when we're doing well, when we're not doing well. What was so great about David? Search me, try me, see if there's any evil way in me. He said, I want to know where I am messed up. I want to know where it is. Show me where it is. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. But he was a goof up, just like the rest of us are. Now, <clears throat> intensive prayer leads to boldness. In Acts 4.31, oh, early into the church age, aren't we? Peter, John, they become friends. They're going to the synagogue together. They're going to pray together, aren't they? Weren't they rivals not too long ago? 
Weren't they vying over who'd be greatest in the kingdom? Weren't they arguing about it to the point the Lord told them don't multiple times? Acts 4.31. And he says that when they had prayed, they were figuring out what to do, how to go about it. When they had prayed intensely, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were praying for boldness. And the Lord gave it to them. See, that's what he, he wants. He, he wants us to have it. But sometimes we're afraid to ask. Intensive prayers rewarded. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. There was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and he gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God all the time. That's who Cornelius was, a Gentile of all people that saw prayer as a means of access to the Almighty God. A Roman, no less, a centurion, no less. Was he the one there at the cross? We don't know if that was him or not. But what we do know is that this was another centurion because um, somehow the gospel got into the, uh, the Roman Empire and into the, the different uh, sections of the, the Roman legions. Now, <clears throat> that was the application. Luke 21, 34 to 36. We took the verses apart. We saw what they had to say. We let the scripture tell us more about those verses as we went through. And what we're going to find now in, is the faithful and sensible bondservant. Matthew 24, we're picking up the final words of the Olivet Discourse the Lord gave to Peter, Andrew, James, and John on the Mount of Olives. And so our question would be who is faithful and who is sensible? Because these are things that we need to know. And this is the question. Who then? That's the question. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave? That's the English. Faithful is pistos. It's an adjective. It's used 67 times in the New Testament. The word faithful means one who consistently trusts the master or trusts an object. Okay, that's the word, the generic meaning. And we know that this is one who, who faithfully and consistently trusts the master. Sensible is an interesting word. Sensible is the word phronimos. And it comes from friend. Friend is a, is a word of the mind that is used. It too is an adjective used 14 times. And it is a practical wisdom. Very close to Sophia. Sophia is more the philosophical view of wisdom. But this particular word, phronomos, is how do you use the philosophical view. It's more the practical outgrowth of how it, how it works. And it's one that cannot just think wisely. It's one who can use it wisely. And that's the word phronomos. And it says, slave, here's the word doulos. And we've been through that word many times. It's, it's a bondservant. It is one who has chosen to serve the master because of the greatness 
of the master. And that's where we're supposed to be. Paul says, a bondservant of Christ. Peter becomes a bondservant, finally. Took him a while, just like the rest of us. It's one who says, my master's so great. I've been set free. I can do anything I want to do, but I'm going to serve him because of what he's done for me. And it's a free, a free choice of being a servant. And he says, a bond slave, whom is kurios, whom is lord or master, put in charge of his household. This word, put in charge, is kathistemi. I, I, I love the way the Greeks put words together. Histemi is a word that means to stand. All by itself. Basic Greek 101 word. When you put a prefix on the front of it, kata, it becomes kathistemi. It's used 21 times. Kata means according to a standard. So when you find these two put together, it means to stand according to a standard, and it comes to mean to hold a position of honor. So he says, Who then is the faithful and sensible bond slave, who his master will put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Give whose food at the proper time? That is, proper time is in Kairos. In Kairos, is it the right season? Interesting choice of word. The word time is chronos, frequently, chronology, the sequence of events, or it's kairos, which is the word for season. Like right now, we're in our favorite season in Oklahoma, the summer season. That's whenever the oven cranks up. That's when we could cook bread literally on the hood of a car. That's when, that's when this is this season. Well, there are seasons in the church age. Here we could go through, we've been through them multiple times, Revelation 2 and 3, the letters of the seven churches, seven seasons, if you will. Give them their food at the proper time to know what is fitting for the need of the moment, as it says in Ephesians. Now, this verse introduces the next three parables. These next three parables are going to be pretty detailed. And the next three parables, in the, in the next three, is the issue of a faithful and sensible servanthood to the master. We're going to find that theme running through these. The parable focuses on blessings that are available to the faithful and sensible bondservants. We're going to see the parable of the ten virgins come up in the first part of Matthew 25. We're going to see the parable of the talents come up. See, these are passages that says, what is available to a faithful, that tells us this is extended over quite a period of time, consistent, that's part of being faithful, a faithful and practically wise bondservant. What do you do with it? Because we see that there were some uh, the parable of the talents, one guy went and hid his. He was not Phronimus. Because the Lord got all over him. Said, you should have taken this, at least put it in the bank, made a little interest off. You didn't do anything with this thing. So, <clears throat> the, the parable focuses on blessings. The parable of the ten virgins expands on the wisdom of preparation. Five of them had oil for their lamps. Five of them didn't have oil for their lamps. Okay, the master came and guess who missed out? The ones who weren't ready. 
we have on the sign out front, be prepared. For all old Boy Scouts, they go, that was a Boy Scouts motto. Be prepared. That's one thing that if you're in a Boy Scout, stuck, stuck with you all your life. It's just like I usually prepare for enough time so I'll arrive early enough to change a flat tire in need if case we had to. Because when I was growing up, that was a frequent, frequent option <laughs> that we had to, had to do. Yesterday, after changing the sign and leaving here, I was um, struck with a flat tire. Well, <clears throat> Drew's not in the shape that he once was. Plus, he didn't even know where the tire was. <laughs> and then, how do you get the tire out? Because in a Toyota, there is a bolt that holds this thing in place underneath the car. And it's supposed to be the lug wrench thing that, op that turns it won't fit. But it's a whole different bolt that they decided to install within this Toyota. So anyway, it ended up with uh, Drew was not prepared. A after I just put the sign up, it said, be prepared. <laughs> now obviously that's not a spiritual thing. It gave me some time to reflect, uh, to be parked down there in a motorcycle parking lot, which is just a good place to park and reflect and listen to motorcycles that drive you crazy anyway. But they, it was, um, be prepared means we got to be ready when the master comes. And not just thinking about getting ready later. We need to be ready right now. Now I know we say we're ready, but are we ready? Are there things that we'd like to do? Are there people that we would not want to see go through the tribulation? More people we need to tell about the Lord Jesus Christ. Are there people that we need to encourage to get their life straight or their act together, if you will? Are there other things we need to do? The ten virgins, the importance of preparation. The parable of talents expands on the wisdom of action. The talents there is talking about taking what God has given you. Notice some, one had five, one had two, and one had one. And what did the wise one do? He took the five, he made another five. And what did the master say when he came? Well done. Good and faithful bondservant. Enter into the joy of your master. See, we shouldn't look at God and go, I wish you'd have given me this, then I could have done this for you. We need to look and say, what did you give me? What did you give me to work with? When talking to people overseas, that's one of the most important things you can get through to them is... Take what you have. Don't, start, don't be spending your life whining about what you don't have. Take what you have and use it. And those that do, the Lord blesses. Take what you've got and use it. The wisdom of preparation. Being ready for the master to come back. Trying to keep short accounts of things that we need to do. The parable of the talents. The question of who is basically asking who will step forward and take care of the Lord's house now. That's basically what it, who then is the faithful and sensible uh, servant whom his master will put in charge of his household to give them their food at the right time. He's saying, who's going to step up to the plate? It's a 
conversation about the last days. Who's going to step up and say, uh, who'll take care of the Lord's house now? Now notice, he doesn't go on and on and describe a faithful and sensible steward and then give them that blessing. He says, if you want to be a faithful and sensible steward, what are you going to do right now? Because see, that's where the practical wisdom comes in. And that's where you start functioning now. He's asking who will do what we need to do as a faithful and sensible bondservant. The Lord's desires for those who step forward. You step forward, being willing to take a role. He wants them to be consistently faithful to Him. He wants them practically wise in the administration of His of of his matters and what he wants using the time Didn't, don't we have that all over the New Testament is this anything new Ephesians 5 redeeming the time for the days are evil we're in a, in a world that is so easy to waste time in and not do the things that are important practical wisdom is about how not to waste time in the world in which we live we don't need to waste time trying to make a name for ourselves fame or trying to spend all of our time making fortune, or power, or pleasure. We don't. That's a time waster. Why? Because the Lord has already given you those things. You're a child of the King. What better fame do you need? We don't want to dishonor being a child of the King, like some of the so-called royal family on earth have done. We don't want to do that. We want to be a child of the King and honor Him in what we do. Fortune. Well, Daddy owns cattle on a thousand hills. We don't need to. Power. You know the Holy Spirit's inside of you. You got any idea how much power is already there? It's not for you to tap and use as you want, but it is for you to connect to and use as He directs. Connect to the Holy Spirit. You afraid to go talk to your neighbor about things of the Lord? It's you that's afraid. Holy Spirit's not. The Holy Spirit said, go talk to your neighbor. Go say hello to him. Take some gospel coin. Take some tracks. Go out to a mall. See if you can get thrown out of it. That's, that's what the coin guy does. Supplies all those coins. Takes that vest full of about 35 languages. And he walks out there and, and he starts, Oh, are you from Indonesia? Here. And hands him a gospel coin. We can get you those languages if you want to do that. The vest you'll have to make. But you can, if you want to do something like that, that's, that's fine. It's amazing how many people you run into in grocery stores. And you can a lot of times tell that they're from uh, India. And so I'll go, uh, uh, are you from Kerala? It's amazing how many people are from Kerala state from India that are here. They're working in Walmarts, hospitals, and everywhere else. Are you from Kerala? And they just look at you funny. Well, yeah, yes I am. How do you know? Well, I've, I've got some good friends there. I've been there quite a few times. You've been to Kerala? Whereabouts, Cotium? Really? <laughs> you know, there's a church not too far from here that, that uh, 
uh, are primarily from Kerala State, India. That's where they, they meet. And they're, they're here, but what you get to do is connect. Tell them we're glad you're here because they're Christians. And we need more of them here functioning that way. Now, we need to possess the attitude of a bondservant. Here am I, Lord, send me. A living, holy sacrifice. That's what we want to be. Because verse 46 says, Blessed is that bondservant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Blessing is promised for those tending his flock is a faithful and sensible bondservant when he returns. You don't have to be an officer. You don't have to hold a position of, of pastor to do that. You take care of those allotted to your charge. This promise of blessing establishes our marching orders for life, especially in this generation. And we don't know when he'll return. See, just like the parables, we don't know when the master's going to show up, when the trumpet's going to blow. What we do want to do is be found doing what he has sent us to do whenever he comes back. You know, that's some eternal rewards beyond anything we can think or imagine. When the master comes back and we're doing his will. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, again for your mercy, your grace, your love, all your blessings, all your tests. We thank you for your so great salvation. And that it is not of us. That it comes from you to those who put their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. Father, what an amazing difference that makes for eternity. makes all the difference. Father, let us live up to that grace you have poured out upon us. May we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. May we, as the Apostle Paul, fulfill our ministries that you've given us here on earth. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.